Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and fascinating women who talk about their projects as well as their own lives as evolving women. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my newly updated companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Learn more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my coffee in my hand and my little Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. Preeti Robin Ross is a self-care specialist and has been teaching yoga for over two decades. She pioneered a cardiac yoga program at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center with Dr. Oz and has developed yoga and wellness programs for other New York City hospitals and major corporations worldwide. She's a contributing author for two medical textbooks on the therapeutic applications of yoga and has been featured on Good Morning America, NBC, and CBS News just to name a few. And I know you have a big retreat coming up at Kripalu. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Can we start with the uh, the word and the name Preeti? Can you talk oh. to my listeners about what that means? Sure, sure. Well, Preeti, you know, Robin Ross is my given name, and I love that name. And Preeti is a Sanskrit name that when I decided I want to be in the lifestyle of yoga, mostly in the philosophy, not that I would do a headstand every chance I could get, you know, <laughs> on the subways, but I really practice the yoga off the mat, the essence of in integrating my mind, my body, and soul and leading a conscious life off the mat. So I practice on the mat so that I take those concepts of self-awareness and self-reflection uh, off the mat. And when I decided to take on the name Preeti from my guru at the time, which really means teacher, guru, guru means from darkness to light. So somebody who did some awakening for me at the time in the 80s, mind you. Mm. And uh, they give you a name and you kind of get to know them and you fill out applications and preeti which i'm proud to say means love means divine love means affection and joy and the coolest thing about preeti is actually if you say it it kind of ends in an e so it sounds like preeti and people actually smile when they say my oh. name so i stuck with it i like it well, what does it mean to do yoga off the mat that's a really good question. So uh, for me, a lot of times nowadays, yoga is very much known as a physical hatha yoga practice. And, you know, people getting into these really extraordinary postures and posting the postures and all about the posture. But the truth of yoga in of itself actually means union. Yoga yuja, which means integration, unity, union. So we are on the mat to discover what our habitual thinking patterns are, 
So we notice, oh my God, I'm always constantly comparing myself to everybody else on the mat and I'm uh, really hard on myself or I'm really easy on myself. So there's a self-reflection that can be really utilized on the mat and also obviously understanding musculoskeletal, physical tensions that you can address, et cetera, et cetera. But we tend to do this yoga on the mat and get all perfect in our postures and then get off the mat and get all irritated and angry <laughs> and angry at the person in front of us who only has one item, you know, or, or big items and you only have one item. So for me, it was about finding the integration, the balance, the poise, the grace, in life, leading yoga in life. So as a matter of fact, the name of my business is called Life as Yoga, mm. Life as Integration, as Consciousness, because yoga essentially is about self-liberation. It isn't about having this really teeny, teeny tiny button and a, and a <laughs> rock hard abs. That's not what yoga was intended for. So I, so when I say yoga off the mat, it's my practice of leading um, a conscious lifestyle, a compassionate lifestyle, a lifestyle where I'm awakened instead of moving around in habitual patterns. And so I know that you've been teaching for over two decades. Mm -hmm. What was life like for you before yoga? <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting thing to say. I was in New York City and doing the waitress thing and young and wild. And, you know, I lean towards um, very passionate woman. So I lean towards passion and passion, meaning that when I get depressed, I got really depressed. I got sad. I got really sad, happy, really happy. Not, not a bipolar thing, mm, but just intense. Some, yes, very intense. And I really wanted to learn how to balance my emotional life, let alone having um, a scoliosis, which is a little curvature of my spine with a lot of back, um, back problems, a lot of uh, back pain uh, for a 20-year-old to have back pain was kind of, you know, depressing in some ways. And I walked into the halls actually of Kurpalu at the time, and Kurpalu was very much a soft, easy uh, place. It wasn't this big, hyped-out yoga place. It was very much about the emotional life, the spiritual life. So it was more of a spiritual-based yoga practice, and I just really resonated with it, and I resonated with the essence of self-compassion, which was new for me to be kind and loving to myself. And actually mm -hmm. the core principle, the core principle of most of my workshop, ex workshops, workshops, especially the refilling your well, my self-care, which is really a self-love workshop, um, is the essence of non-judgmental, compassionate self-awareness, mm -hmm. which is coined from Swami Karpalo. It's that essence of being able to witness yourself, maybe with your little finger on your chin and going, ooh, that's, mm -hmm. I was really kind of out of line there. Maybe I can find another way to express myself instead of what our normal propensity is sometimes. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, mm -hmm. I was so mean. Blah, 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 blah. And we tend to kind of hurt ourselves when we're human. So a lot of my passion 
has been about learning how to find that sense of tenderness and kindness towards herself. And I feel that's what everybody needs because our society doesn't really, you know, is not a proponent proponent of that. And we sort of, it's the, it's the society, go, go, do, do. Mm -hmm. We want you to be this mm -hmm. way. All the demands that we have to look a certain way or do a certain thing and to sell at this. And there's this constant striving. So, and like you were asking about myself, I was in that place of constant striving, trying to prove myself and if I did things good I mean I needed to do it really really good in order to feel loved and accepted and appreciated and seen and heard and but now I stand in myself in a place where I've actually even learned the quotation you probably use this good enough Mm -hmm. You know, and that has given me such a softness in my life. And then as being a natural born teacher, what my passion is, is holding a container for other people to step into that place where they find that self-compassion, where they can review and awaken habitual patterning and ask themselves new questions. It sounds very much like, I mean, I know there are vast differences, but that is what I try to do with my own clients and psychotherapy of is, you know, model that and, and be curious along with somebody else. But it is sometimes a very uphill journey. Mm. It's a hard habit to break. Mm. And self-care, I think for many mm. people, it, it's such a foreign concept. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I really appreciate that. And it is because it is not in our society. You're judged by how well you do, how much you do. Like when I go to a, when you go to a party, they didn't say, well, what do you do? Not like, who are you? What makes you, <laughs> what makes your, your, your heart light up in this world? Like what, what brings you the most joy in your life? That's actually the mm. questions I ask people at a party. I don't mm. even ask them what they do because inevitably that's more or less looking at what they have, um, you know, um, strive to be. And look, we all work around, especially for now as we're aging, that sense of the even political pressure, social, economic, uh, you know, work life, trying to balance work life. Some of us dealing with elderly parents now mm -hmm. and, and life transitions and caregiving and deciding what to do on retirement. That, you know, there's always that essence uh, Nicole, I find where I'll take care of myself when. Do you know that 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 statement? I'll take care of myself mm -hmm. when the projects finish, when my parents are in a good place, when my kids are settled, then I'll be happy, then I'll take care of ourselves. And the thing is we keep waiting for the external things to change in order for us to practice that self-care. And that's what I awaken. Because what happens is that tends to be a very disempowering way to lead your life and you abandon yourself and you become the last on the list because you're waiting for all those external things, you know, to like 
uh, I'll relax when I'm vacation. Mm -hmm. and, and how many times do we go on vacation? And, you know, I need a vacation from your vacation sometimes, <laughs> right? So it's about taking back the power now the calm in the middle of the storm, no matter what is going out on outside of you. And I'm a methodologist, so I like to not just, the, maybe the difference in the psychotherapy to some degree, but I've grown up with my mother who's a psychotherapist, so I'm very into the essence of self-reflection. But that sense of finding methods, what do I do? Do. Like, what's a mm -hmm. tool? What can mm -hmm. I put in my hand? And that's what interests me is to learn how to respond, to learn how to respond to life rather than react to life. And because most of our souls are like crying out. They're saying, I'm not truly happy. What about me? Or for a lot of us, the body is starting to cry out, you know, it's taking like all of that going and doing, taking like a little quiet toll on our health. What you does know? it look like? What does it look like when the body is starting to uh, take a toll? Well, you get those little body aches and headaches and muscle aches and the digestive system, you know, IBS and different stomach uh, issues start to occur, hormone imbalances, and then the limbic system is on overdrive. So there's anxiety and worry and fear-based. And what happens is I do find a lot of people say, oh, well, that's just stress and that'll go away when you know, and forgetting that there are ways to get off the roller coaster. So sometimes the body is knocking at your door, even if it's just chronic neck tension, or maybe sometimes it does show up with what they call dis-ease in the body. And the key is really about balancing the autonomic nervous system. So we, we, we work in this constant sympathetic drive in our autonomic nervous system when there is the parasympathetic drive that's actually an inborn response to the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight. There's, then there's the relaxation response. But what's happened is we lost the art of eliciting that response when we need it. And my thing is it's really wonderful to elicit that response when you don't need it. When mm. things are okay. And when things are not quite, like it's like we wait in the society for things to get really bad before we take care of them. So I think what I teach is a lifestyle a way to find effective coping strategies in the here and now. Like the, the most effective thing for me is little simple, elegant acts throughout my day. Little simple, elegant acts of just watching and looking at life like I was sitting in the park before this. Because I did notice my nervous system up a little bit and we get responses and my stomach gets a little tight and my chest gets a little tight. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I wasn't really breathing full. And I knew I was going to be doing this with you. So to practice my talk, my walk, <laughs> you know, right? 
I went outside to the park. I'm here in New York City, and fortunately there's a park. And I just sat on the bench. And what I did was I just looked at how the leaves were moving from the wind. And I know on a scientific basis that that will begin to elicit the parasympathetic drive. Like my physical body does not know the difference between what's real, whether there's a real danger, or I tell it there's a real danger. So in other words, you know, like you're walking through the woods and you hear crackles on the thing and you think maybe it's a bear, your body's going to hit that sympathetic drive. But maybe it's a little rabbit. <laughs> but either way, your body responds to it. So I learn cognitive strategies of things to say to myself when I get those cues, as you were talking before, in the body. But I do look for those little miracles, those little wonders throughout the day. I do not walk or live my life without at least without at least 10 or five at the least things I can see that have nothing to do with me, watching a child just lift her hand to get a mother's hand, or a leaf that falls down. Or for me, one of the greatest things that elicits my parasympathetic drive is the sunlight on the water. Like just mm -hmm. watching those little sparkles. Mm -hmm. And I don't just watch it, I take a deep breath and I bring it into my body, into my cells, which elicits and relaxes the cortisol in my body. So all of those physiological symptoms that happen as a result of the constant elicitation of the sympathetic drive, just that will relax the nervous system. And the cool thing is, is that pleasurable things last in the system longer. Huh. And I didn't know that there was this, and, and I'm kind of a science geek, so I've been re I read up a lot on stress and how it works in the physical body. And it actually lasts longer because everything is about survival of the species. Mm -hmm. And the things that are stressful actually peak and drop. But the thing is we keep eliciting that peak over and over again. Mm -hmm. Again, between what is real or even what is imagined. So you know anybody ever come to you with ruminating thoughts, right? Those things I'm imagining this is going to be, you know. So I talk a lot about a cognitive restructuring, which is a psychotherapeutic essence, but without the, the um, you know, the details of getting into all the stories, so to speak. But coming back to shifting our perceptions, to take back that power, you know, because literally the definition, a clinical definition of stress is not stress. It's a, so for instance, you're in a traffic jam. Mm. It's the, the traffic jam is not stressful. Mm. It's the stress sore. So the traffic jam becomes the stress sore. And then you have your perception of the stress sore that creates the third phase, which is the stress response. It's so, the, t the two arrows. Right. Do you, do you know that the first arrow is no. the event, but the second arrow, this is a Buddhist kind of concept. Great. second arrow is what you do with it. And you don't need the second arrow, 
you have to deal with the first arrow, but you don't need to make it worse. Got it. But the thing is, is what? Oh, that's awesome. This is like if you look at look at three columns, for instance, because I actually find this even simpler. So you have the first column, let's just say, being the stressor, which is the event, the pressure, the demand. Again, real or imagined right? So everything could be okay. And you know, in your head, everything isn't. So it doesn't even have to be real. Then the next column, if you look at it, it's the perception of the stressor. So that perception is your beliefs, your immediate thinking, your habitual thoughts. And the idea is, so I'll just finish that up. So then you have your perception, your, your, your cognitive perception, sometimes even a physical perception, like you'll freeze, you know, or something will happen that maybe if you're in a trauma state to some degree because of that stressor, but essentially there's a phase called the perception stage and that perception stage will determine your stress response. So that's your um, emotional or physical or verbal reaction to your perception Mm -hmm. of the stressor. So the key is the power of the pause in the perception stage to awaken enough to take, you know, and this takes not the big number 10 things, but maybe the two or three things, the practicing, the strengthening the muscle of the perception stage to say, oh, let me put this on a scale of one to 10. 10 being the loss of a loved one, not fresh broccoli down in the thing, you know. A long line at Zabar. Oh, yeah, exactly. So if you look at it, like the stress response, like the 10 would be the loss of a loved one, the loss of your home, the loss of your health, and broccoli being, you know, maybe a one, <laughs> if that. Mm-hmm. And yet sometimes we put in that perception stage, or maybe it goes right to the stress response stage, we'll put a 10 in that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so one, you're talking about calibrating, calibrating, ah, self-calibrating. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I love to give people things to put in their hands to recalibrate, ah. you know, instead of saying, okay, this is a concept now, perception stage. Hmm. But instead, how about you do this in the perception stage or this or this or this or that? So in other words, one of the, one of the keys to that perception stage is to immediately put it on a scale of one to 10, you know, and say, does this deserve? And when you understand what physiologically it will do to you, just broccoli not being fresh, what that will do to your physical self, as well as your emotional and limbic self as well, you start to say, wait, I can take back the power of my autonomic nervous system by that perception stage. So within that perception stage is some cognitive restructuring. Maybe there's some self-talk you know, a time to take a deep, deep breath and sort of talk yourself down a little bit, you know? And I talk about befriending yourself like you would your very best friend. You know, when you have that issue, you know how good we are for other people, Mm -hmm. you know? And those wise, beautiful things that we say to other people. Well, I have people practice talking to themselves like they would the most beautiful child 
child or or their very best friend. And usually, I don't even call it self-talk. I call it sweet talk. Oh. So I usually have to go, sweetie, you know, not in, <laughs> not, not in a condescending way, but just like, sweetie, sweetie, come here, baby. Come here, come here, come here. <laughs> Let's go outside right now, honey. Come on. You, you're, you're, I can feel your chest moving a little tight. You're a little nervous. Come on, honey. You've done this so many times. But you know what? It looks really beautiful outside. So let's just go sit outside. Mm -hmm. And thank God I live alone because <laughs> sometimes I say that out loud. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I'll go, shh. Like they're there. Yes. And it's like I have me beginning, middle, and end. So uh, one of my greatest tools is to teach people how to befriend the inner beloved, how to reestablish a relationship with themselves by, because I'm a methodologist, maybe because I'm steeped in a, as a yoga teacher who does and creates yoga teacher trainings, I love methods. I love A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So it's not just cognitive, it's, it's substantive. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, as I mentioned, to reiterate for your listeners to do right now is just kind of look up and look around at something in their house and something that has a beautiful story to it. And just look at it for just a moment and take a breath in and, and remember that story for just a moment. And what I know on a scientific level that all of a sudden the sympathetic drive starts to lower and the cortisol starts to relax, the oxytocin can increase, and the, and the body starts to replenish. Mm. And we think we have to do these great big things, my dear friends who are listening. It's only simple little acts strewn throughout the day. And it could be God, you're really thirsty. And you take a really cold glass of water. Mm -hmm. You know that feeling like that, ah. Mm -hmm. Well, that does something to your physiology. Or let's say you're lying in your bed and you turn the pillow over and it's really cool. And it's like, ah. It sounds very close to... Um, a gratitude practice. Oh, that's a really good way of looking at it. But you know, it's been so interesting. And I, you know, and I, and when that all came out with the gratitude journal, and I definitely practiced that, there were so many clients of mine that were in such sometimes a trauma state that to find gratitude felt like such a huge step. So what, uh, what I've been using is the word appreciation mm -hmm. instead of gratitude, because I think people can appreciate something easier than they can feel thankful and grateful when especially they're not doing okay. I think that's a really excellent point because you don't want to have them feel like a failure when they're feeling badly. <laughs> you know, you want to give them something that's attainable and, and that, that can feel good. Exactly. And things they can hold on to. So I work, let's say, in that Refilling Your Well uh, program, which I am writing a book about because I would really love, I like want to wake people up and let them know they can get off the roller coaster 
coaster and don't have to be in this spin. But again, my way of handling this are little tools. So, you know, it's that ascension wherever your attention goes, energy flows. So it's, you know, learning to wake up to your attention. Little breathing breaks, little, oh, I love Tony Robbins says, when you're stuck in an emotion, get into motion. So I do dance breaks and I have like a little playlist and I call it my stuck list. When I can't stop, when I stop, when I'm like ruminating over something and then I put on, oh, there's this great song called Get Stupid. <laughs> I think it's by uh, Marigold or Aston Marigold. Totally download it. And it's like, get stupid, get stupid, you know? And it's like, so I can dance all silly, but I know because I'm that science geek that when I start to shake my body out, it begins to shake those stuck thoughts and that stuck routine. And, you know, cause sometimes we can't think something away or do something away. And then I just find it's a way to shift the physiology from stuck pattern. So it's these little things, I call them stress busters and stress balancers and little stress nurturing breaks, I call them. And one of the beautiful things to do is to start to dream. Just dream. Dream of all the tiny little things you did as a kid that inevitably don't cost anything. So for me, watching the sunlight or watching the leaves move on a tree, it doesn't cost me anything. Now, granted, I have to be where there's a tree, but mm. because your body, to be truthful, doesn't know the difference between what's real and what you tell it, you can look at a picture, a beautiful picture of a sunset, of some place, a beach, a woods, a meadow that is beautiful to you. And when your eyes see that, it actually doesn't know your body, your physiology thinks everything's okay. Do you, are you familiar with a book that just came out called Nature Fix? Oh, you were telling me about that. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to read it. <laughs> It's so fascinating because it talks about how the brain really craves patterns from nature because that's the way it was developed. So when you're looking at leaves, there, you know, you've got all the, the parts going on that you described, the beauty, the wind, and the awe. But you the also awe. have the, the this sort of key in the lock saying, my brain is made to recognize patterns or these fractals mm. and it's like a big cushy warm you know comforter around I mean that's what the brain was designed to do so mm. you're you're really fulfilling many different aspects of your well-being Ugh. And it, that that's probably why I sincerely feel this essence inside my soul because I'm so connected my, from, to myself from being in this practice for over for 40 years. This essence of feeling that inherent cellular wellness and I'm, my neural pathways are changing just when I take that mm -hmm. moment. And I think this, I'm so happy you brought that up 
because I love when things have, it's not a woo-woo, hippie, dippy thought, <laughs> but there's a science behind it. Don't and, say that at Kripalu, you'll get in big trouble. Oh, I say that all the time. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, well, like, what I love is the fact that actually Kripalu is steeped with some real science behind it because it's it's been around for so long. But the truth is yoga is a science. It's been around for 6,000 years. We've just, we've just taken it and, and Americanized it, but we won't get into that. But it's beautiful too. As long as people get on the mat, ah, I have no judgment. <laughs> but the truth of what you're saying is important for people to realize if they can't get up and get a vacation, if, they, if they're feeling like I'll be happy when I get on vacation, I'll be happy if I sit out here for an hour. And what we're saying, and this is kind of coming back to the very beginning, is that essence of even if you take these little nurturing breaks throughout the day, when you sense something physical or you feel you're, you're, you're just a little imbalance, that those simple tiny acts of nature or even looking at pictures of nature, truthfully, mm. and also cultivating these little nurturing acts throughout your day. It could be a beautiful cup of coffee or a sweet tea. And for me, it's the morn a morning ritual, which is a whole nother talk at some point. I love a morning ritual, mm. some place to land in before I rush into my day. Do you have rules for yourself or guidelines in terms of your use of technology? Oh, that's a really good point. Um, you know, what I have done in my life, and I want to respect your time here, is the essence of planning my life. So I plan my life around my nurturing activities, not my nurturing activities around my life. Wow, that's an important distinction. Yeah, that's a whole chapter in my book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an, it really, and I hope that some of your listeners can really understand that. So within my calendar, which I like to make a lot of colors and really pretty, I literally will say, okay, so from 10 to 2, I'm doing my administrative stuff. I run two businesses. I do my yoga and my workshops, and I'm also a uh, huge component of plant medicine, which is essential oils, specifically doTERRA. And I love using the oils as a way. And it's funny because you were talking about plants and they have plant consciousness. So I will put literally jasmine on my heart or frankincense on my forehead. And that also supports my nervous system. But as far as my schedule, I will really look at my schedule and I plan my week. And I say, okay, then from two to three, I'm taking a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And then maybe from four to six, I'm going to go back on the computer. Now, I'm a touch of a rebel. So I might be two hours outside or I might be three. So I'm not strict with rules for myself. And you had reframed it into the word guidelines. And so I have soft guidelines that I, I utilize so that I have mastery over my life. And that's the key is I want people and I'd love to create a container and inspiration for people to take 
back the power of their days and their life and to get off the roller coaster of running and striving and doing and understand that I actually am more productive, mm-hmm. more productive mm-hmm. than I have ever been by utilizing that concept. Right. It's such a, it's such a paradox. Hello, Zestful Agers. A short intermission to thank you for the incredible amount of downloads. I love creating this podcast, and it's so satisfying to know that you are enjoying it too. Creating and hosting Zestful Aging has been a blast, but it does require a lot of time and resources to deliver a high-quality interview to you every week. So I've signed up with Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but for ongoing artistic projects. Unlike Kickstarter, the donations are recurrent and the amount is usually smaller. When you become a patron of Zestful Aging, you will receive special benefits like behind the scenes info, a place to communicate with other listeners as well as other patron-only bonuses. These funds will be used to make equipment upgrades, particularly for mobile interviewing, and to travel to interview guests, like to New York City to interview participants in the Diversity Fashion Show. I also need to hire a professional editor. So please go to patreon.com forward slash zestful aging and make a small but vital donation. Thank you for contributing to the ongoing success of zestful aging. And I can't wait to bring you more juicy, inspiring interviews. Now back to the show. Do you think that we as a culture, I mean, you know, certainly uh, yoga is becoming much more in the mainstream. Do you think we're getting better at self-care or um, how do you see it? Do you feel you like want people- the truth? Yes, I do. I, do. <laughs> I don't. I really don't because my workshops are filled with depleted people. And that's why I call it refilling your well. And it's amazing that I actually have, because I'm a yoga teacher trainer for so many years, like close to 20 years I've been leading workshops, is that many of my people who come are yoga teachers. That they're depleted, you're saying they're depleted. Not not all of them, of course, my gosh. But the sense is there's still that business, the striving and the, you know, there's, it's pretty saturated now. And the yoga studio has to do extra in order to get the people to come in. Because, you know, in New York, there's so many yoga studios. So this yoga studio has to, you know, find what's really exciting about that one. So yes, even with all of the yoga that's happening, because there's still a cultural dynamic of achieving with the yoga. Like somebody said, oh, you're a yoga teacher. You must be able to stand on your head and do a crow or, you know, do a scorpion. And it's so interesting to me how people will say, wow, I'm a yoga teacher for that long. And that's my goal. 
And mm. there is something within our culture that says that I say, nope, still can't do that, not in my lifetime. But you know what I can do? Smile a lot and I feel oh. grounded and balanced and I have beautiful soul relationships and I travel the world and my life is mine. Still can't do a scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I think even so, that's why I'm so passionate about this book, because even though there's many people that talk about self-care, I want to bring into the mainstream the way to actually manifest it on a, in a lifestyle and you don't have to shave your head or do the vacation, that it becomes a life way to lead your life. Is this also the basis of... Uh, the program that you, you run with Dr. Oz, the cardiac yoga program, are there similarities or is that a different kind of protocol? Right. Well, what I did with that and that, you know, bless his heart was in the early nineties, way before this was famous and popular. And he was, I think, um, you know, a cardio, cardiothoracic surgeon at Columbia press. And, um, he wanted something different for his, he wanted tools for his, uh, patients so that they were never back again, that they learn stress reduction tools. So I actually created this cardiac yoga class where actually three days post-op, we wheeled them into this class. And I remember I had a, because the fluorescent lights were, weren't very pretty. So I had to put on those little lights that you read x-rays with. <laughs> oh, and they sat around in their wheelchairs with blankets on them and they're there, you know, and I taught them actually physiological stress reduction, you know, techniques like somatic relaxation and gentle breathing techniques and ways again, coming back to balancing the nervous system. Because in truth, a lot of these patients were type A patients that were constantly, as I mentioned before, eliciting the sympathetic nervous system. And I wanted to teach them how to, to elicit the parasympathetic, the relaxation response. And there were other doctors doing this, but you know, like Dr. Dean Ornish's program and different doctors, but I was literally one of the first yoga teachers that were bedside with patients. Mm. Through, and he had the brilliance to think of this. I think even his wife was into alternative medicines and he started to realize that this was something he could start. He was very much a pioneer and had a complementary care a uh, faculty that we had that did acupuncture and energy healing and yoga and different modalities. So is it that, was it the same as, you know, that was more or less giving them relaxation and breathing and little gentle movement. And I could, that's when I really started studying the science of relaxation. And it's such a different environment than a place like Kripalu. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the the beauty and the, well, and the food. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you go for the program, but you stay yes. for the food. Yes, But, how, yes. you know, it's just a, such a jewel. And then you go to 
I think it's in Harlem, right? Columbia Presbyterian. Yes. But can I say this again? And I say this with all due respect to everybody in the world. Remember when I said your body doesn't know the difference between what's real Mm. and what you tell it. Mm -hmm. So with their eyes closed and with my voice loving and nurturing and connecting into their bodies and whether I would do a visualization or um, I had beautiful music playing or the sound of the waves that your body responds to this because not everybody can get up and go to Shivananda Ashram which I do also a retreat in the Bahamas I do this Mm -hmm. and you know in Omega or Mm -hmm. some of those other really beautiful sanctuaries which are amazing to make a part of your lifestyle and a part of your 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 yearly outings and there's many people who can't afford it or can't Mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. and you gone and then you come back and your life is just the way it was when you left it so that's why I feel my mission is to teach people how to find the the nurturing retreat places inside yourself so you don't have to wait to go any place you know uh, which I highly recommend but and at the same time do you know what I mean Yes, yes. I know it's fascinating. I'm thinking of you, you know, you saying your body doesn't know the difference between maybe going into Central Park or go, you know, you're in that moment of pure appreciation. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And, and that's, that's such a profound uh, effect. Yes. And I want to make this self-care digestible and, and uh, practical for people. Do you have, after um, your book is out and all, do you have something in the future, any future projects that are in the works that you're just starting to think about? Oh, well, yes, I appreciate you asking. So the the Kurpala retreat is the end of this month, the 24th to the 28th. I mean, just starts on Sunday, which people are welcome to. But um, I'm also doing it again at Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas on the beach, which is a really beautiful, simple place. And again, at Corpalo, actually, in uh, 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 after Christmas, which is an amazing time to end your year that way. And I do little self-care uh, weekends all over the world, you know, and mm-hmm. I do find mm-hmm. beautiful places so that people can practice it. But again, my mission is for people to be able to have it. They don't need to change their clothes. They don't need to buy anything. They don't need to look, you know, I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It's like it's learning how to do it now. So the other, the projects are the retreats that I lead. I also lead um, uh, Zooms or, you know, like uh, phone counseling. So I teach this one-on-one to people all over the world. And I do private sessions and self-care, which, you know, I will probably get much deeper into, you know, um, belief systems with people, you know, personal belief systems and how to break them up. And, you know, in a way that's still um, practical practical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How is it for you when you go into the world 
and you see people stressed and mm. and you realize that there's a pretty good chance they're never going to find some of them are not going to find that peace of mind that mm. everybody wants is that something that you have to navigate emotionally in your own self oh that's that's a really beautiful question nicole you know, there is a part of me sometimes, and I'm in New York City. Oh, God, I'm choking up now. And, you know, and I'll see somebody, you know, on the street who I know usually is has, you know, is off their psychotropic drugs, you know, and I know that there's a chemical imbalance. So, you know, without that chemical support, perhaps they will never find perhaps that peace of mind. But I never say never, first of all. And it's amazing. And please know I'm a grounded woman that I have found when people are on the street and they're, they're begging for money or they're not feeling so good. And I'm taking a really extreme example here. I will sometimes look at them with my heart and put my hand on my chest and look straight into their eyes. And I say, I see you. And sometimes that's what they need is not to be walked by, but to be seen and acknowledged in that moment. And if I can do that for one moment or hold the door open for somebody who's having a hard day or maybe tell somebody they can go ahead of me in front of me in the store, I do not discount little acts of kindness, if you will, that I do believe that if I can't touch somebody to bring them to a whole workshop or a counseling session, if I can look at them with respect and kindness, mm. then I do feel even on the anatomical level, we all search to be seen and heard and loved. Mm -hmm. And if I can behave that way to other people, and I mean behave from a real genuine standpoint, then I feel I'm making that contribution. And is it painful? Absolutely. And do I, my, one of the reasons why I teach yoga teacher trainings is my uh, Pranatan yoga teacher is a school that I've, I've also taught the Kripalu yoga teacher training, et cetera, Prana yoga teacher training is I'm hoping to cultivate yoga teachers in the world that have that level of when they would even get up from a chair, they would make sure they pushed the chair in. Do you know what I mean? Like walking through the lifetime with consciousness, not just thinking about yourself, thinking about what would work for the whole. And I truly believe that if we touch each other on that level, then I do believe that raises the frequency and raises the vibration. And we'll, you know, I'll do my part. So it's, there's an interesting thing here, you know, I'm hearing self-care in the service of caring for yourself, but also in the service of caring for others. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And there are many traditions, which I've studied so many, that actually, you know, and then sometimes there's there's a little confusion around that, but that sense of service is, you know, I think one of the highest qualities of, of self-care too, because you know, I believe humanity is physiologically and neurologically meant to support the tribe. 
I do not believe we're meant to. I think violence is an aberration of our human nature. It's just to be safe. I don't believe that human beings, in essence, unless there's a biochemical imbalance, are violent. I believe they wish to feel safe. And in wanting to feel safe, they may do things in order to get safe. But that sense of service is when you feel like you are, I believe, almost doing your human directive. And at the same time, let me put a shout out to all the beautiful women all their lives that have been doing service and are depleted. So my uh, wish is that they can do some of these, you know, it's like there's a saying like, give from an overflowing well, not an empty well, you know, and it's like to give when I teach workshops and I do what I do. And the reasons why I can find that kindness is because I've practiced self-compassion and, you know, and it's a chicken or the egg. There are times where I'm not feeling so good about myself at all, and I will put my hand on my heart and, 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 and do a kind act, and then, you know, it's that chicken or the egg, and then all of a sudden I feel good about myself and the world, but I do believe it, it has to be coinciding with a practice of self-care. That, I think that that's the part that people sometimes miss, um, in my experience, that yes. self-care to them sounds like it's all about me. Selfish, I come right. first. Yeah. And, you know, get your own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and but and that might be part of you know the new plan, uh, but but there's this. You're talking about something that's very integrated. Mm. It all it's these these pieces that fit together, and mm. I, I sort of see that loop of self care, care of others, self care. You know, sort of round and round. I love this. that. I love that you said integrated. I think I think Nicole, that's a perfect way to look at it. It's an integration. So. It's it's not one or the other. And there's no way that I could, you know, not cook for my family if I need to eat. And you just find the balance of that. Because one of the things I talk in my workshop is you teach other people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who's always going to do everything for everybody else, guess who they're asking? Mm -hmm. You know, and what's really beautiful about my relationships is I'll say, trust me to say no. Because in truth, what good is my yes if I never say no, mm -hmm. you know? And so I do have to teach, especially uh, women in my workshops, about boundaries, you know? And, but yes, you're absolutely right in the caveat of, you know, people thinking that self-care is selfish. But the truth is, and as I mentioned in the beginning, that it is taking a toll on our physiology and our health and our well-being and the zest, the zestful aging, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, if there's a time that people need to hear your lesson, I think, and your words is, you know, having to, we talk about the sandwich generation, yes. still launching kids, yes. maybe launching them and then having them come back and, taking and then care having of parents. parents. Exactly. I have many clients in this place. Career is still demanding, right? And you may be feeling not as, uh, flexible or not as healthy. I mean, yes. there's so many aspects that get um, 
very difficult and a lot of transitions, a lot of loss, a lot of recalibration. And people, you know, the women that I talk to are saying, I don't even know where to start. Yes. Uh, There's so many people come to my workshops and in the opening circle, we sit around and go, okay, why did you choose this workshop? I will hear... I'm in the sandwich generation. I've just Mm. retired. I don't know what to do, or I'm not retired. I have my parents. I have the caregiver. I'm still a caregiver. My my son has moved back to home. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, especially in this generation. I completely agree with you. And I think what I'm doing is creating a methodology for people to learn exactly what you were saying is how to lead an integrative form of self-care so that it's not something that is that you have to go and do it becomes a soft murmur of self-care throughout your days Mm. and the biggest thing that i want to emphasize is that's effective Mm -hmm. how effective it is people will often say to me what do you do you know you're just you're just smiling you know (laughs) and um you must be happy all the time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you been in this world? I'm not happy all the time. But I, I practice what I mention is my perception stage. So this happens and I learn how to perceive things with a much more objective way of looking. And I tell you, it took practice. It -hmm. takes practice because when you were asking me in the very beginning, like I'm passionate, so I would feel pain so deeply Mm -hmm. and feel like there was no way out of it, you know, until I found these tools starting with yoga and then just morphing so many different religions and and philosophies and psychotherapeutic values and trauma work and trying so desperately to find my own way through the world, you know, and then because I'm a methodologist, then I wanted to find these things and make them, okay, I could put that in my hand. So don't tell me to take care of myself, you know, like, go, you should take care of yourself. Mm. Don't you want to kind of like poke somebody when they say that, (laughs) you know, or, hey, you yeah. should be breathing. Why don't you breathe? <laughs> you know, and so I want to just turn that upside down. And you're absolutely right. This generation is really, I think, one of the most challenging. And yet, I'll have kids from 18 to 80 in these, and everybody will come to me, like the kids with their work, their study, their, mm. they're trying to mm. achieve grades and tests and socialization for these kids and Facebook and, mm. you know, having to, you know, and being on the, the, um, the phone 24 mm. seven, you know, mm. and not cultivating what you were saying, the nature fix, mm-hmm. you know, so Absolutely. I think it's an epidemic and that's why I called it, uh, join the self-care revolution. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have this beautiful blend of the yoga practice and the yoga philosophy and really like, here's the practical nuts and bolts. Exactly. These are the things. And I think that's so and helpful. The science. 
and the science. And I really appreciate that because as a therapist, you know, I talk about, well, let's let's think about why and how. And next week, I would like to see you do this, this, you know. Right. So there's homework and there's homework. action and there's action. what's the what's the step towards the path you want to be on. Exactly. It's not just about let's let's have an intellectual conversation about or a concept. You know, like, a concept. Let me just have you with it. Yes, it's a good concept. Self-care is good, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that a nice concept? But mm-hmm. how? Tell me right. how to do that when I have to take care of my husband and take care of my kids and take mm-hmm. care of my mother and take care of my job. You know what I mean? And take care of the home. Mm-hmm. And you tell me self-care. You know, mm-hmm. And I get people like really with their hands on their hips, mm-hmm. you know, and then I give them these tools, these simple, simple integrative tools. That take What's the most it. unusual tool you've heard of that somebody's developed for themselves? Oh, that's a really cute question. Um, let me think. Well, you know what's really interesting? Well, there's so many little ones because I do a lot of meditations where I actually have uh, easel paper after easel. I probably have 30 big easel papers of people telling me their nurturing activities, little Mm. things that create joy in their life. You know, everything from, you know, what we know, the smell of a baby's head, which elicits oxytocin, to, as I mentioned before, turning the... um, pillow over and not for that moment just saying oh that's nice but ah but Mm. I think it was oh there was one woman who um she would get a cold washcloth right like make her washcloth really really cold and then just put it on her face and take a really deep deep breath in (sighs) and then do the same thing with a really warm washcloth you know Mm. and now, that's not like, you know, the most, the, the biggest, hugest thing, but that's just it. I don't want it to be something huge. I want it to be something sweet and simple, you know, and finding these little tools that you can uh, calibrate throughout your life. And now, granted, she has to get a washcloth to do that, but I love for it to be people that well, they don't need to get anything. So... Mm. Little things, like I remember there was a husband and wife, and mothers and daughters come a lot, and fathers and sons and husbands and wives, because this way they can both support each other. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is one of the nurturing activities for this woman was, excuse me, I love to hold my husband's hand. And his was, I love holding my wife's hand. And they never knew how much joy they got out of that. And what was so beautiful is the rest of the time, if you walked in front of them, they were holding hands. Now, I know that might sound very simple to your viewer, but this is the key. And it's not like, oh, just stop and smell the roses. (laughs) It's, It's much more infinitely brilliant than that. And it's much more cellularly related than that because that was literally eliciting oxytocin in their system, relaxing the cortisol, you know, and quelching that sympathetic nervous system. And, but the thing is, they weren't just holding their hands and going, oh, we like this. It was like, yes, I'm Uh. stopping. I'm being present. And that's where the yoga comes in, where I teach tools how to be in what we call presence, Mm -hmm. how to be in presence, not present, 
but how to be in presence. And that in presence sometimes, as you know, means tears come. You know, the truth, the authentic truth of who you are in that moment and the, the, the constantly trying to move away from that is what creates tension. So for them, it was like just holding each other's hands. And then they've, they've, they've since connected to me and they say that when they fight, they, one of or the other one has to put out the hand. And then they, they literally hold hands and their, their homework was to hold hands and just look into each other's eyes for a moment, no matter how pissed they were, and <laughs> remembered. And they did. And they still might have an argument after that. But my, my, my example was then to take a time out, obviously. So like it's ripe with all of these little things. Some of them have been pretty off the wall and wild. Some of them has been from kayaking to cooking to, you know, it doesn't matter. The thing is, my dear listeners, is for you to discover what nourishes you. Because what makes you feel centered and connected and in presence is different than me. So your job is, if you decide to accept it, is to figure out what that is. And that's what I do is like I, I go into meditations where they figure that out. And sometimes, we, oh my God, I used to love to twirl when I was a little girl. He used to make me so happy, you know, and the woman hasn't twirled since she's been a child. And then we had her go twirling outside in the woods and she was came back giggling. This woman came, I was almost afraid. She had such a scowl on her face. And, you know, but I always know there's something underneath that. So I wasn't disturbed. But, and she came back giggling, giggling. That must be so satisfying for you oh. as the teacher. Well, you were talking about service. So for me, it feels like that's that's my service. Everybody has their ways, and that's mine. And it's why Preeti, originally we said Preeti means love. And it's, it is always going to be about love in some way, shape, mm. or form. Mm -hmm. It's going to come back to love. Oh my goodness. Mm. Thank you so much You're for welcome. talking today about such an important subject. And I know my listeners are going to love hearing your, you know, the sweet and simple ways to stay in presence mm. and bring your body into balance. Mm. It is so important. Uh, where can people reach you? Where's the best place? Oh, um, great. Well, they can yeah. go to my website and mm -hmm. it's going to be redone, but right now it is the way that it is, but it's www.lifeasyoga.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So that's L-I-F-E-A-S-A-S-Yoga, Y-O-G-A.com. And if you go on to kurpalu.org, mm -hmm. I have a workshop in December. 
Okay. After Christmas and before New Year's, which I highly recommend. And oh, yeah. also at Shivananda Ashram. So it's a Shivananda a retreat in the Bahamas and that's in January. So if you want to come to the beach in oh. January and I do, it's active. I mean, we do things. It's not just yoga. I mean, there are meditations that I teach, simple, quiet, learn teaching people how to be still. It's just so important, but definitely they can reach me that they can even go straight to my email, Preeti, P-R-I, T-I, mm-hmm. P is in Peter, R-I-T-I, yoga, Y-O-G-A, mm-hmm. the number one mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Okay. Now there is, that's actually kind of my personal email, but in if you go through my website, there is there will be some direction, contact. you know, contact information, and that might even be easier. Again, life as yoga. So life as integration, life as, as connection to the self. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. You know, I, you know, you're preaching to the converted, but you've inspired me to be, um, the birds are really singing today. And um, sometimes I just sit on my deck and just focus on the bird song. Exactly. And I, and I think I'm, I think I'm going to go back out and do that some more. Exactly. And you know what, Nicole, even if it's just, a, you know, like a minute, like, mm-hmm. It's to understand that it's not just pretty birds. It's actually balancing your nervous system. Yeah. And that is what is 85% of the office visits up to 90% are stress-related disorders. So if you listen to the birds and not just say, oh, those birds are pretty, but wow, this is substantive. This Penetrating is my soul. Penetrating my soul. I could not have thought of a better way to say that. I adore <laughs> you. I love your work here. Thank you for your contribution into this world and how you're bringing together people who are on the same mission to create some peace of mind in this world. So thank mm. you, Nicole, for your oh. kind contribution to this world. Many, 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 many blessings to you all. I wish you all sweet, deep, penetrating, mm-hmm. soulful peace. Namaste. Namaste. Love from Preeti. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to Patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.